0: Ever since I was a young boy, I always dreamed of being a park ranger, patrolling campgrounds and chatting with some of the friendly campers, hiking trails to make sure everything was easily maneuverable and just spending time in nature. Being in nature has always been my way of disconnecting from reality. Whenever things got stressful in life, I would hit the trails or go backpacking for a few days or rent a campsite in some remote area in the woods. My parents were never supportive of my goals. They would much rather seen the letters M.D. after my name or my face on a billboard advertising towards people who were involved in traffic collisions. Oh, well. I put in an application for one of the county parks near my house, not really expecting much out of it. I was fresh out of high school, no college experience yet flipping hamburgers, and dealing with people who find a reason to complain and everything, so there was no harm at all in putting out applications. I pulled up a Google Map directory of every local, state, county, and national park in my state, California, and submitted applications wherever I saw openings. I even called a few parks that I really liked to see if they had any positions available, but hadn't any luck for months. My bank account was starting to dwindle as a result of constant maintenance on my 3 Civic, which had been put through more than the manufacturers could ever design the cars to experience, and I was starting to stress. I would pinch my pennies together at gas stations, skip meals altogether when I didn't have anything readily available at home, and try to cruise 55 on the freeways to be more efficient with what little fuel I had. I definitely didn't expect this to be my reality after high school, but I guess I should. My parents kicked me out the minute they found out I was gay, and I was left living in my car for months until I found someone who would let me crash on their couch. It was really mentally challenging just trying to convince myself to keep going through everything, but I had this gut feeling that things would work out eventually. I know it sounds kind of weird, but this life wasn't half bad. I mean, I saved a fair bit of money on rent because Dallin let me sleep on his couch at night for free. I took my Civic with me wherever I drove. To the beaches, the forests, and mountains east. The deserts. Sleeping in the car wasn't too bad. I wasn't exactly the most picky camper in the world and knew that it was cheaper than renting a hotel every night. Eventually, I'd have loved to get a van or ensue to have more room, but for now the rusty bucket of problems we call a Civic would have to work. I remember the day that I got the email. I had just checked my bank account balance to see that I had $7.80 left. I was a few thousand miles over when I should have gotten my oil changed and my front brakes were squeaking again, most likely as a result of the axle leaking grease and corroding them. Like I said, rusty bucket of problems. An email was in my inbox that read National Park Service. Immediately hiring full-time ranger must be willing to relocate. Base salary, 65000 Respond for info. I'd never been a religious lad, but this felt like a godsend. I'd never seen more than $5,000 in my bank account at one time, let alone 65000 a year. As a base salary? Of course I had to reply to them and send a message that read, Hi there, I'm Jake, a wilderness enthusiast based in California. I'd love to learn more about your opening with the National Park Service. I am willing to relocate wherever, although it might take time for me to get there. Let me know if you'd like to interview me. I attached a copy of my resume, which had a fair bit of information that would have proved I was the right candidate for the job. Ample experience in the wilderness, knowledge on most survival skills, excellent physical shape, good worth ethic. I had beefed up my resume as much as possible, and I don't know if I would have been able to forgive myself if they said I was unqualified or didn't get the position. That wouldn't have been an issue, though. About 24 hours later, I got a response from a woman by the name of Abigail inviting me to do a tele-interview a day later. I started to feel giddy with excitement at the prospect of finally landing my dream job with the National Park Service. Not only that, but having accommodation, stable income, and being able to spend time surrounded by the beauty of nature is all I could ask for in life. I set a reminder on my laptop that I had an interview and hastily jotted down the number that she said she would be calling me from. I tried so hard to focus at work that day, but it felt like I was stumbling over orders and making careless mistakes again and again. Every time I slipped up, the manager walked over and yelled at me, then muttered to herself in Spanish and walked away. I was so close to quitting on the spot, but something told me to hold off just a bit longer until I know for sure if I got the new job yet. Fast forward to the next day, Abigail called me about five minutes late. She asked me pretty basic questions. My past work experience, my work ethic, asked me to describe some of the experience I have had in the wilderness and what knowledge I can bring to the team. I answered her questions honestly and very thoughtfully, making sure to reference real-world scenarios whenever possible so she didn't think I was bluffing with all the experience I claimed to have. It seemed to be going great, and I was certain I would the position. I was smiling wider than I had smiled in months when she asked me the question that sticks with me to this day. Are you afraid of what lurks in the shadows of the trees at night, Jake? It took me a minute to figure out how to respond to this. I didn't expect her to ask me that. When I was going over interview questions the night before, I planned just about everything out, even some follow-up questions to ask her about the position that would show how interested I am. I had not prepared for this. I'd never been afraid of the woods or any nature at all. I had no reason to be. I knew everything there was to know about defending myself. I could use a knife pretty well, was a great aim with a crossbow, and had even made my own bows before out of materials in the woods. I didn't exactly believe in supernatural beings or demonic entities, so there was no reason to be afraid. Still, her question unsettled me a little bit. I tried to convince myself that it was just a joke, and she wasn't serious. But the lack of laughter matching my nervous laughter shot that theory down pretty quickly. I took a deep breath and responded, I've never been afraid of the shadows in the trees. I do just fine in the wilderness, and have never been in a situation where I feel like I lost control. Her response sent chills up my spine. I reckon you should be, honey. She's always watching, even if it feels like she left. No matter how far you go, she'll always be a few steps behind you. She's always smiling, too, if you dare ignore. Abigail cut off as she began talking to someone else on her end of the line, assumingly a co-worker or another park ranger. She eventually put herself on mute, and I spent a few moments processing what had happened. Who is, uh, what happens if you ignore her? I felt a bit uneasy, but then realized that Abigail works with the parks. I feel like to work with an NP is you have to be at least a bit crazy. Not many people would want to give up the luxuries of fast Internet, guaranteed electricity, and a healthy social life to live alone in the middle of the woods patrolling and yelling at people who started fires outside of fire pits. Even if you weren't crazy getting in, chances are by the time you retire, you'll have a therapist on speed dial. I tried to chalk it up to being that an older lady who was starting to lose her mind and brushed it off as no big deal. Just as I came to my conclusion, I heard Abigail's voice on the other end of the line again. Congratulations, Jake. You're perfect for the position. We're going to send you a ticket for your plane that'll be embarking to Alaska to start in Denali National Park in three days. Do you have any more questions? I froze for a minute. I was going to Alaska in three days. This moment was honestly the happiest of my life thus far. The realization that everything I had dreamed of was starting to fall into place. I was likely going to be surrounded by millions of trees, millions of acres of land, and one of the most beautiful landscapes the world has to offer. It had been my dream to visit Alaska one day, and now I got to live there and get paid to do so. But I had to find out more. I wanted to know what she meant earlier about the girl who watches you. Even though I'm almost positive it was nothing, I wanted to hear it from her, just to ease my racing mind. I decided to start with a pretty general question. What should I bring with me? I asked. She responded quickly. Just your clothing and anything you might want in your station. Phone, laptop and charger, winter clothing, a few decorations or memories from home, any other weird gadgets you love, and maybe a pocket knife. We'll provide everything else you need. I didn't exactly have a lot to my name aside from my car and a few boxes of crap that I'd collected over the years, so I figured I'd pack light. I had to do a bit of shopping for winter clothing, as it's never cold enough to warrant heavy jackets in Southern California, but that would be a lot easier when I had the couple hundred dollars my car was worth in pocket. I felt like we were comfortable enough with each other, so I asked the question, you said something earlier about a woman who watches you, I asked hesitantly, half expecting her to hang up on me and deny me the job right then and there. But she chuckled and responded, Oh, sorry about that. Sometimes my brain acts all wonky with these interviews. She cleared her throat and continued. It was just one of those moments, nothing to be afraid about. That explanation resonated with me, and I thanked her for her time and hung up. I could hardly sleep at night anticipation for my flight and vivid dreams about the forests, the wildlife and life as a ranger filed my thoughts constantly. One night it got so hard I had to take Benadryl just to make myself drowsy enough to get a few hours of shut-eye. It was the day of the flight. Dallin helped me with my bags and drove me to the airport. I decided I would give him the rest of the money I had, as I was sure there wouldn't be any convenience stores where I was heading, and left him everything I couldn't take with me. I don't know if he was just taking it, so I didn't have to lug it down to goodwill or deal with a horror commonly known as Facebook Marketplace, but I appreciated it either way. I entered the terminal, scanned my boarding pass, and checked my duffel bags and carried a pack with me that had all my technology. Trappy point and shoot camera I'd saved for years. My laptop, cell phone, with contacts of the few people I wanted to remain close with, and a few notebooks because I loved writing. Of course, I had all my hiking gear packed. Even though they said they'd provide me with gear of my own when I got there, it was too difficult to part with the shoes and poles and things that had kept me going for so many years when I had nothing else to look forward to. I boarded my plane, threw my backpack in the overhead stowaway bin, and prepared for takeoff. This was it, the moment that my entire life's hoping and working had culminated into. Every struggle I had, every moment of doubt, whether I wanted to keep pushing on through the poverty and pain was gone. My dreams were about to become a reality. I braced myself for takeoff and shut my eyes to get a little bit of rest while the plane began its six-hour journey towards Alaska. The plane touched down at Anchorage International, and it would be a short drive to get to the park where I would be stationed. I was greeted by a friendly face, who I assumed to be Abigail. She was a frail woman, most likely in her late fifties, but had this fire in her eyes. She didn't look tough, but I had to assume she was a lot stronger than her appearance put on. Behind her was a man, about my height and a little more muscular. I assumed he would be training me or working with me at my post. Neither of them said much other than exchanging basic pleasantries, and I was instructed to follow her to the van that they had arranged for transportation. The minute I stepped foot out of the airport, I was in shock. Alaska was absolutely beautiful. I'd seen pictures of it before, watched a few shows on television when I used to have cable, and of course seen plenty of YouTube videos that people put out there, but it's just so much more incredible in person. The trees in the distance, the chilly air that just felt so much fresher than the city air, the dynamic of people in the area all felt so surreal. It truly felt like home, home something I really needed at that point in my life. We got in the van, a small white transit that definitely showed some signs of use and headed north towards Denali National Park. I sat next to the muscular man whose name I learned to be Zeke. Abigail had left a bit earlier. I guess it was just me and Zeke right now and the person driving the van who had a weird love for classical music. I put one of my earbuds in knowing that I probably wouldn't get a lot of time to listen to music during orientation, and enjoyed the drive as the sun started to sleepily duck down under the huge snow-capped mountains to my right. Eventually, we got to the ranger station. It was a small building, but from the outside, it looked very inviting. The walls were made of wood, and the lights had a yellowish glow to them. There were windows on all sides, and a little check-in desk for those who were driving through. Surrounding the ranger station were towering green trees, which I recognized to be primarily white spruce. And to the left, a bit there was a building that looked like some form of bathroom connected to a garage. I'd gotten to know Zeke a bit on the ride up. He was pretty quiet, but we had a lot of similarities. He was only a few years older than I was and had also been kicked out of his house by his family, although he wouldn't tell me why. Zeke grew up in Montana, in a small town near Glacier National Park, and fell in love with the surroundings. He told me he'd been working for the national parks for a year now and was bumped up to one of the lead positions at Denali. I really felt like I could get along with Zeke, although there was something a bit off about him it felt like he was hiding something. It had to have been the voice. It sounded as if there was some underlying fear or anxiety in his tone. Oh, well, he seemed to be a really good person, and I'd be working with him indefinitely, so there was an obligation to get along to some extent. If something happened to one of us, we had to be able to depend on the other for help. I wasn't used to this, and I knew it wouldn't come as easy as the textbooks make it feel but it was something I could work towards. As the van pulled up to the garage next to the facilities, I motioned to get out, but Zeke reached over me and pulled the door shut once more. "'You're not stopping here,' he said with a grin. "'You'll be stationed in a tower about five miles north in the forests. Everything you need should be there. A hunting rifle, clothing, gear, your phone, and the numbers that you may need to call, and a handbook with all the information that you'll need for now.' He paused for a moment, then continued. I know it sounds silly, but make sure to read every page in the handbook. It's not that long, and the last guy who didn't. I could see a look of regret on Zeke's face as he realized that he had shared too much. Well, he had to replace somehow, and that's why you're here. It must have been evident that I had a look of shock on my face. I wish I had known this before I signed up for the position, but I guess it made sense. You're working in a remote area in the wilderness. All kinds of wildlife could cut your life short. If you don't know everything there is to know about the area, you could be caught with your pants down with a hungry bear looking right up at you, so to speak. I smiled and said, I'll read it all. Don't worry. The expression on his face appeared genuine, and Zeke waved as he jumped out of the van and headed towards the ranger station. I adjusted around a bit and put my feet up against the vacant left side of the van. The driver didn't say a thing and kept on driving. As the forest got denser and denser, the road felt bumpier and bumpier. Even though it didn't exactly feel like a God-sent cab ride, I felt like I was in heaven, surrounded by trees, people who also love nature. And I was making more money doing this than I would made in three years at McDonald's. Maybe this is the closest to heaven I'll ever be. Just as I was starting to drift into sleep, I saw a huge tower in the distance. It was probably 85 feet tall and had a metal staircase that wrapped around the tower frame and led into a cabin, supposedly where I was to sleep and watch from. The driver pulled off a bit, got out of the car, and opened my door. I jumped out as well, and gave my legs a moment to adjust, standing up again after hours of riding in a bumpy van. Here ye are, lad. You got about a quarter-mile walk to the tower, through the forest to the right. He motioned his arm towards a huge expanse of trees that was surrounding the tower. It appeared as if some of the trees were taller than the tower itself. It was absolutely beautiful. I thanked him, shook his hand put my gloves on, and began the hike towards my new home. The tower itself was amazing. It looked relatively new. The only evidence that anyone had lived in it before were the footprints gathered around the base of the steps. As I ascended the metal staircase that led into the sky, I couldn't help but gawk at the beautiful expanse of forest that surrounded me. For miles and miles, all I could see were towering trees, mountains, and there was a small lake a bit to the west. Considering the only light that was guiding me at this point was that from the full moon and the stars that shone in the sky, it was amazing how well I could see. It was such a contrast from the mundane city views that I had grown to abhor and beat any hike or backpacking trip I had ever done by a long shot. A bright orange light helped me find the door. There were windows on three of the four sides of the tower, the fourth being the wall my bed was up against. When I entered the small cabin, there was a gunmetal filing cabinet and a wooden desk right next to the bed, and a locker which I presumed to hold all of my new belongings and the rifle. Around the unit were posters from various parks in Alaska, a few pictures of the staff team, and little notes about things you can see from each window. On the wooden desk was a handbook, assumingly the one I was informed about earlier. There was a black phone connected to a landline and a little memo pad that was turned upside down. I spent a few hours reading the handbook, nothing out of the ordinary. It outlined what I was supposed to be doing, some of the standard operating procedures for common events, and gave me a breakdown of the wildlife and the plants that I would likely encounter there was a map on one of the last pages that showed my tower in relation to the other towers throughout the park and the headquarters Zeke got dropped off at. For the most part, I was just watch and patrolling for now. Every two days, I would hike a trail nearby my station and make sure that no fallen logs or huge grizzly corpses stopped trekkers and trucks from exploring the park. There was a page that detailed some of the things more experienced rangers got to do. Experiments with local research teams, assessing weather conditions, tagging and tracking animals through the forests, and cutting unhealthy trees into firewood to be used at the ranger station and sold in the nearest town to benefit the forest. I assumed that there would be tours as well, but no mention of those was in the handbook. I was about to turn away when I remembered that there was a little memo pad right next to me. It looked pretty worn down. The cover was entirely faded when I turned it over except for big words on the front that read five most important thing. I assumed that it was general notes on things that were happening nearby in real time. The handbook was likely a bit outdated and the notebook allowed rangers to write down what was happening and leave reminders on current events that any new hires would need to know. But when I flipped to the first page, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine through my body. In chicken scratch handwriting, it read, 1. You work alone. I glanced around the room and didn't see anyone else with me. I figured that I would be working alone when I got to the park and Zeke got out, but it felt so dark. The writing felt like it was written as a warning of sorts in case somebody else tried to pretend they worked there. Is it possible that some of the local backpackers tried to pretend to work with the parks in order to steal, or worse? I flipped the page, and once again that shiver ran down my spine as I read the handwritten words. Two, she will not help you. I flipped the page again anxiously glancing around the room trying to figure out who she was three if you hear her crying run I practically ripped a page off of the memo pad as I flipped again to see what was on the following page four if you see her it's too late I slammed the book against the counter and started pacing around the room I knew that I was getting myself into a job that could be dangerous but who was she what kind of tasks was I really doing here Aside from watching for fires and hiking trails, I really wanted to know more and soon, but I was starting to get tired and wouldn't be able to get very far with the intense jet lag and the lack of sleep recently. I took off my shirt and boots and set my backpack down next to the cod I'd be sleeping in. It was actually quite comfortable, at least more comfortable than sleeping on a couch it'd been. I decided to sleep with a utility belt on. Knife flashlight and a fin five seven pistol that I had found in the locker. Just in case, all of this would blow over in the morning when I got answers. I'm sure at least that's what I told myself as I tossed and turned in bed for twenty minutes trying to calm my nerves. I awoke to the sound of rain pattering against the roof of the tower. Great, I thought, I won't be able to hike down to the station in this weather. I got up, cleared my eyes and blew my nose and looked out the window. There was a heavy fog surrounding the tower, and I could barely see the trees closest to me, let alone the lake or the ranger station. I decided to look through the handbook one last time and see if I could find any phone numbers to the ranger station. When I looked through the night before, I found no mention of the phone at all, and no idea how to reach others in case of emergencies. I guess it's very possible that I was too groggy and missed a key detail. I started walking towards the wooden desk when I froze. Someone was coming up my tower. I instinctively put my hand on my hip where my five seven was stored, and was ready to pull it out and fire. Just as I started to raise the gun I saw a young woman's face in the window. She was wearing typical ranger attire, a heavy snow jacket, cargo pants, heavy boots. She had a utility belt on as well, with a knife and a gun similar to mine on her waist. I, laughing at my stupidity for almost killing a fellow ranger, put the gun back in its holster and opened the door. Hi, I'm Autumn. I just wanted to say hi to the new guy. She blushed and pointed out through my window, towards where the entrance to the park would be. Most of the times you can find me at the main headquarters. Sometimes I like to work with the new recruits until they're comfortable with their duties. If you want, I can take you on a little tour when the weather clears up a bit. She was soaking wet. Her hair looked fresh out of the shower. She had to have trekked at least five miles to get here. Through heavy rain and terrible conditions, there was no way I would say no to letting her stay a bit. Plus it was starting to get colder. If she got caught out while it was snowing with soaked clothing, chances are it wouldn't end well. You can stay here for a bit if you'd like. I just woke up a few minutes ago. I was looking for a manual on how to use the phone because I had a couple questions. I can't find any phone numbers or any information about how to contact the headquarters. I said pointing towards the phone. She chuckled and replied, Oh, those phones don't work. They're really just an aesthetic at this point. The lines used to be up and running, but now they're good as dead. You'd have to walk down to the headquarters to ask, but since I'm here, you may as well ask me. I felt embarrassed to ask about the notes in the notepad, so I quickly put together a random thought. What do we do about getting food here? Do they do supply runs? To resupply the towers, or do you have to walk to pick up your own? I mean, it wasn't a bad question at all. Besides, I was getting hungry and couldn't find any food around the room. They'll bring it by in a few hours, he said, smiling. It's not exactly what I'd call comfort food, but it fills the stomach and gives you the energy you need to keep trekking. I smiled, thinking back to all the times that I'd gone hungry because I couldn't afford to eat. I wasn't eager to tell Autumn my entire life story, so I stayed silent. But the prospect of getting food handed to me and decent, livable food made me livid with excitement. By the way, E.H.Q. told me to tell you that there was an incident on one of the trails not too far from here. Since it's in your territory, they want you to check it out. Something about a boulder that's obstructing the path. I guess it became dislodged with the rain and rolled down the hill. I didn't realize how long it had been raining. I guess it had to have started while I was sleeping, since there was a steady pour by the time I awoke. "'I'll check it out when the weather clears up. "'Do you know where it is? "'It's west of here. "'If you look on the map in your handbook, "'you'll see a trail called Boulder Ridge Loop. "'It's a seven-mile loop trail that goes around a mountain.' "'I laughed. Ironic. Huh. "'The boulder destroyed the Boulder Ridge Loop. "'Do you know exactly how much more rain we're going to get tonight?' "'She shook her head. "'Not sure, to be honest.' Chances are it'll get light for a few hours, then start raining pretty heavily again. If I were you, when it starts to ease, I would head out as fast as you can and try to assess what happened. She paused for a moment, then continued. I'd be... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. More than happy to tag along if you'd like the company. To help, plus it might be difficult to determine the trailheads on your first full day. That sounds great. I'm going to get change and start getting ready so we can leave in an instant. She started walking towards the door and said, I'll wait near the trailhead. "'Don't dilly-dally too long, buddy.' She gave me a friendly wave and jogged down the metal steps. Autumn seemed like a nice person. She was pretty attractive, friendly, and seemed knowledgeable. I put on a heavy rain jacket that was in my locker when I realized something. I sprinted over to the desk and grabbed the memo pad. Turning back to page one, I traced the scratched letters with my fingertip. One, you work alone. I flipped the page again. Two, She will not help you. I started to panic. I couldn't go out with her. I'd already broken two of the rules that were in the memo pad. There was no way for me to reach the ranger station to ask them for clarification. I tried to be rational. Maybe she doesn't work with me and she's just telling me my duties. I thought trying to alleviate the anxiety from my mind, but it didn't help at all. I spent about an hour pacing back and forth, back and forth, until I noticed that the rain had started to lighten up. I began to pace faster, and faster, looking through drawer upon drawer, trying to find something that could help me, maybe a mobile phone or a map so I could find the trail myself, or keys to some truck that was out of plain sight nearby. I couldn't find anything. Hours and hours passed until I noticed that the sky was getting darker and darker. God damn it, I thought to myself. I didn't get a chance to do anything today except worry. I turned the light on with a switch in the cabin and went back over to look through the handbook, once again hoping that I missed something that would help me in this situation, but I found nothing new. I looked outside and could see nothing once again. There was a heavy fog all around the tower, and it was pitch black out. It must have been at least ten p.m. I was considering calling it a night and trying to get some sleep when I heard a faint voice call out from the bottom of the tower, Hey, are you coming? Oh, God, she's back, I thought to myself. I had the pistol on my waist, but grabbed a hunting rifle. Something was very off about this place, about autumn. At first I thought I could trust her, but at this point I didn't know if I could trust anybody. I started to crawl slowly towards the door. I put my back against the thin frame of metal that separated the door and the wide glass window and peered out. I saw Autumn standing at the base of the tower, staring up at me. Her eyes were wide as saucers, and she was smiling. Not your typical smile. This smile was dark, twisted, scary. It didn't quiver one bit, and she didn't lose her gaze once, even when I looked away. "'Hello!' I heard her call out. I peeked again, and she was now looking to the left, no longer right at me. I reached for the door and slowly creaked it open when I heard it. I heard her begin wailing. "'Not your typical. I stubbed my toe on a coffee table wail.' Her screams were piercing. It was impossible to think straight." even the constant pour of rain couldn't drown out her wailing i remembered the third number in the memo pad and began to shake three if you hear her crying run i swung open the door and started to run down when her gaze immediately locked on to me her eyes had turned pure white and she immediately stopped wailing and smiled once more saliva dripped down from her teeth and she began to laugh as she locked her eyes with mine And if that wasn't bad enough, blood began to pour out of her eyes. I'm not talking a little bit. It it was running down her face and collecting in the collar of her ranger jacket. Her once beautiful hair was beginning to fall out by the second, and she began to tremble uncontrollably, as if she was about to explode. 4. If she sees you, it's too late. In a split second, I drew my hunting rifle. She began to sprint the stairs faster than any animal I'd ever encountered. Her steps were effortless and didn't stumble one bit. I immediately aimed at her and fired. A bullet hit her right in the chest, and I saw her smiling corpse fall through the cracks between the metal steps. A pool of blood erupted from her body, and she lay motionless. I sprinted back into the tower, leaving my rifle on the deck and slammed the door shut. With all the strength I had left, I pushed the filing cabin against the metal cabin door and immediately collapsed against the cold metal as I listened to the rain drum against the roof of my tower. I was in shock, drained, exhausted, confused and afraid. I don't know what that thing was, but it would bother me no more. I felt a wave of relief rush over me. All I had to do was make it to morning. I could get to the ranger headquarters and get the F out of this place. Out of this cursed forest. Out of this shitty metal tower. Away from this demonic creature that called itself Autumn. That brings us to the present moment. I'm sitting here, phone in my hand, writing this up on my notepad app. However, I just need to check something. I remember the title of the memo pad said that there weren't four things, but five. I glanced over at the title of the memo pad. As I expected, it read five most important things. I thumbed through the pages. One, you work alone. Two, she will not help you. Three, if you hear her crying, run. Four, if she sees you, it's too late. I paused for a moment, then turned the page once more. Simultaneously, as I turned the page, I heard that familiar pounding of feet sprinting up the stairs. Heavy, heavy feet and the sobbing was back somehow twice as loud as it was before. I looked at the words on page 5 and dropped the memo pad to the floor in fear. 5. Do not try to kill her under any condition. She does not die. It was the summer of 2015, and I was in 12th grade. Me and two other friends went on the camping trip in Alberta, Canada, the drive up was normal. We got to the campsite, and, oh yeah, one of my friends, who we will call Jeff, brought his girlfriend, who we will call Jane. Some, when we pulled up to our camp spot, we unloaded our gear, then had lunch, and then we went on for a hike. Around three o'clock, we came back around five. 15, and for about four hours, we sat around the campfire, telling stupid stories and other stuff like that but this is when shit gets too real. We started to get the feeling we were being watched, which is weird because there was no one around us for about a whole kilometer. So we thought it just might be a fellow camper. So I yelled out, hey, but no response. So we just ignored it. Later that night, I, to the sound of snapping twigs, I looked out of the tent curiously, and what I saw was a creature about 20 meters away from the tent. It was about eight feet tall with nut-brown hair, and that's all I could really see in the moonlight. So I woke up my friend, and he went pale. He slowly closed the tent zipper and looked at me and said, "'It's right outside.' I told them that's impossible because it was just twenty meters away." To start out, my name is Doe and my father and I are what you would call avid hunters and we know what is in the woods where we hunt. Well, we took a trip to West Virginia to go black bear hunting. I was back at the camper resting from the early morning bear hunt and my father went out to go hunting for the afternoon. I knew where he would be in case of an emergency. "'Well, he gets to his spot and stays there till the sun sets, "'and then he starts to head back to the side. "'By side, he took it to get to his spot. "'On his way back, he heard footsteps, "'and remember, this is in the mountains "'where only hunters and rare locals know where they're at. "'The footsteps he heard were nothing human or bare. "'He stopped for a second and kept walking, "'and then the most blood-curdling yet powerful yell "'came from behind him. "'He thought, so this is how it ends.' Well, it will be a hell of a race if he gets to the side by side. As soon as he got in, something came running up at him and threw a giant rock at him. My father came back to the camper. I was waiting for him, and that was the first time I ever saw my father scared. He didn't come out of the camper until it was time to leave, and we left with no further incident whenever we returned. My brother and I had an encounter while driving that I will never forget. Not a week goes by that I do not think about the encounter, what it was, or the significance. I have subsequently searched for local or regional reports of similar experiences or sightings matching our confrontation, and came across your website. At the time of the event, I lived with my brother, and we liked to go food shopping at night to avoid the crowds. It was a cloudless and brightly moonlit fall, night in October 2011, and we liked to drive around with the windows and sunroof open with the heat blasting while breathing in the crisp, cool Pennsylvania fall air. We had a vehicle full of groceries while taking a long way home. I'd turned off Route 329 in North Whitehall Township, Lehigh County, onto Cobbler Road, a road I do not recall ever driving down before. I had heard the sound of wings flapping through the sunroof and above the car and immediately figured it was an owl, egret or blue heron, but instead I saw something much larger. As it flew parallel to the car, it then looked out and up the front windshield and looked it in its dead black eyes. It was a man with dangling human legs, torso and arms, in a huge bat-style wingspan, the width of the roadway. I can only describe the appearance as gray-like in a dead, lifeless face with no expression. It didn't look real. The hair on my back and arms were standing on end, and I kept thinking to myself that this is something I am not supposed to see, and this can't be real. As we continued along the road, our interaction with the being was only a few seconds before it veered to the left and ascended the hill. As we continued along Cobbler Road until we came to the intersection of Cobbler and Bellevue, and I stopped the car and watched it continue to flap its wings as it continued on its path. I remember repeating to my brother, What is that? What is that? repeatedly as the wing flapping looked unnatural and almost robotic. My brother said, follow it, but I refused as every instinct I had told me to flee, and this was something I was not supposed to see. I briskly made a ride on Bellevue and headed home. The whole interaction lasted 30 seconds tops. At the time, I had a poor quality Blackberry camera and didn't even think to try and take a photo or video. The moment was terrifying, and my flight response overcame any other sense. After researching the area, I found that the building we had just passed as our interaction began was an old abandoned slaughterhouse. I did not know if that had any significance, nor was I unaware it even existed. I have a few links to that particular facility. I have a master's degree in engineering, so naturally I search for a prosaic answer based on logic and reason. Hence why my brain initially went to a large bird like an owl, egret, or blue heron, but it wasn't. We know what we saw, and it was a winged man just a few feet away. I was camping in upstate New York many years ago. I was having trouble sleeping in the tent, so I got up and got in the car. After some time passed, I had a very strange feeling I was being watched. The hairs on my neck were standing up. I slowly look up and out of the passenger window, maybe 30 feet away, I see a tall humanoid figure, unnaturally tall. Long arms, long skinny fingers, pale skin, and a stretched out, ghoulish looking face. Although it wasn't looking at me directly. I had the distinct feeling that it was aware of my presence and stalking me. I was pretty much frozen in fear. I didn't want to make any sudden movements, but I was able to slowly duck into the floorboard and hide until morning. I was a sailor in the United States Navy for four years. During my time out at sea, I had seen some interesting things. First, I was an aviation ordnanceman on a gun mount in the Arabian Gulf. There were two instances of two separate things that had happened. First off, which at the end doesn't end up too creepy, but I thought I'd share it anyways. While on gun mount watch from balls to four, we were watching into the sea to see several streaks of water coming towards the ship. Like these streaks reminded me of when you see torpedoes in the movies and the streaks in the water that they leave behind. Seen these through night vision goggles. Turns out they were whales. The second is pretty busy. So when on your balls to four watch, you have to even look in the air for possible air assaults. As we are looking at the sky, there seems to be a satellite or something similar looking like it was orbiting the earth. The fantail gun mount says mount 50. When do you see that object in the sky? Looks like it's right above us. I seen it and confirmed to the other mount that I had seen it. They told us to watch that object. About three minutes of watching this object, it speeds up and heads towards the bow of the ship, immediately changes direction and shoots towards the fantail and disappears. Within ten seconds, all the gun mounts were calling into the bridge about this object, freaked us out. This was maybe August of 2011. Hey, everyone. Gonna start by saying I generally don't believe in the paranormal or ghosts, etc. But I have been working in this school for just over a year now, and my perspective is beginning to get changed. I don't know if this is the right place to tell this in. If it is not, please guide me to the correct one. I think I'll start by just explaining the school. It's based in London and is a very old school that has been here for almost 100 years. The school is massive, three floors and loads of classes or rooms, etc. So my first experience started with something completely small or insignificant, but made me think more. I am a PE teacher in the school and I was in the school "'For a holiday club, this means there was nobody in the school "'other than me and my team and the children we were working with. "'The children are not allowed upstairs or anywhere without us. "'What happened was I was outside coaching, "'and I looked up to the third floor, "'and there was papers in the room fluttering in front of the windows. "'Now this could obviously be explained by a draft or open window, of course. "'The strange thing is that at this point we had no access to the school top floors.' and they are locked and alarmed. The alarm will go off if any windows and doors are open. The main thing that happened to make me think happened two days ago. I was walking upstairs to my office in the second floor. We now have access to all floors, and I heard a person whistling, like full-on whistling. This whistling stopped as soon as I came off the stairs, and just a reminder, there is nobody in the school apart from my team and definitely nobody on the second floor. The next thing is that I left my office and walked to the second floor staff room, which is directly across from my office, and on that walk I heard a child laugh and giggle. There is absolutely no way any children were on the second floor, and no way I heard it was from downstairs. There has been other strange occurrences, but this is the first time I've really been unable to debunk it. My dad was on an aircraft carrier during Vietnam, and he and his buddies used to go sit against the wheels of the aircraft on deck and waste time at night. He reports there was a really bright light far off in the distance, he thought was a star or planet, but all of a sudden it moved really quickly and hovered off the side of the ship next to them for a few moments. Then it took off and was completely out of sight within a second. He loves to tell the story of his UFO experience. No probes here, people. Merely a very fast bright ball of light. Get it? Now that I saw the post about ball lightning, I'm thinking that may have been it. Having my dad check out the YouTube videos to confirm. Response from my dad. Well, I watched the video and it's possible that is what we saw. It came down like a falling star with a tail on it and then stopped about a mile above the ocean got larger and went parallel with our ship for about five or six seconds. Then it got small again, like it was going straight away from us, turned right and went out of sight in a matter of a few seconds. It was like supersonic speed. This says they are usually associated with thunderstorms. Ours was on a perfectly clear night. However, we were just off of the Philippines and it was super hot and humid. You might have solved the mystery, though. Thanks for the enlightenment. Love you. There are a series of events in my childhood home, mostly at night. I'll name a few. Once I was going downstairs at around 1 a.m. Everyone was asleep except me. I woke up for a drink. I went downstairs, opened the fridge, and while I was holding the fridge open, I placed my phone with a flashlight on the table. I felt something grabbing my hand, like an actual touch. I looked while I pulled away, and there was nothing there. I got incredibly scared. I was sure that my brain wasn't playing tricks or anything. I was sure. So I ran upstairs and left my phone there. Another incident was when I was much younger, also around. 1 a.m., my twin sister and I were up. The door was directly facing the bed, and we were playing on our bed with the lights all out and everyone else asleep. Suddenly, the light goes on, and we see a shadow directly under the door. We thought it was our parents. Then the light goes out, and we take a slight peek with our tablets in our hands. Using the flash, there was nothing there, and we didn't hear any sound of anyone leaving or even in the house. We could also hear sounds downstairs quite a bit at night. Our parents never experienced any of this, and when we asked them about it, they never knew anything about who was downstairs. My sister could hear it, too. These are the more major incidents. We don't have any signs of them anymore, but I also had quite a few nightmares. This happened in a school forest field trip in seventh grade in Sweden. So we were playing a game called 10, which is one dude as a warden that everyone touches on its back every round while the warden don't look. Then the other kids hide, and the warden gets 10 steps and then counts down from 30 after multiple rounds. The warden counts from 10, yada, yada, yada. Here is the happening. I was just running from the warden after wrapping its back during a countdown, and it was lots of tall and big trees, and I was at a somewhat of a drop down dirt path It was about a one-meter drop, and I could not see past this drop due to the extreme greenness of the trees. But I ran down there anyways, and just as I go to look up after dropping down, I hear something behind the trees. It sounded awful and terrifying, so I looked to my left and about three meters from me. I saw a two-three meter tall black figure. That figure was a male moose that was dead eyes staring at me. So we made eye contact and the moose just started to look upset, if that makes sense. It was not happy about me. So I literally backed up that dirt drop as slow as I could and then ran like a mother trucking cheetah. Scary part is that two weeks after, that exact moose chased my friend on a bike while in a suburban area where we live and the moose was just one subway sandwich away from him, about 30 centimeters. So my friend was close to his doom, just biking to school. And the moose had been reported as effing aggressive in our community Facebook group, Creepy Stuff. I was swimming in a lake alone, and I felt someone watching me. I went back to the bank to get my glasses and saw some dude walking through the woods towards me. Something went off in my brain, and I just took my shit and ran. Dude also starts running, and I just sprinted headlong back down the trail, about 100 yards to a parking lot where there were other people. Turn around, heart-pounding. There is no one behind me. Fighter flight switch tripped hard. I encountered a bipedal wolf-like creature here in western Michigan and it's got me spooked. I was out shoveling snow, as it's common here in my state. My encounter happened in a place just south of Rothbury, Michigan. I decided to take a walk in my family's woods one day. That's when my life changed forever. My family owns 270 acres of land here in the town or city of Montague, Michigan i ventured out into those woods as i've done many times one hundreds of them the walk started as anyone would i started to follow the creek south to check for deer stands on our property the walk went as planned until i got about 300 yards south of the house i stopped to have a cigarette my eyes started to wander as i scoped for deer or coyote as i gazed back and forth i noticed this figure and froze I literally froze. This thing made eye contact with me and then stood up. It was hairy, had very broad shoulders and amber-colored eyes. It let out a growl unlike any other I've heard. This wolf, as I call it, made two leaps and was gone. The most surprising thing about this encounter was how silent the woods were. Up to when I had my encounter. So that you know, your episode 80 is what made me want to talk about this. Hello, I live here in rural West Michigan in the town of Montague. It is located in northern Muskegon County. I've had three different encounters with a wolf-like creature. The first encounter took place on, or about February 2, 2016-4, 38 a.m. I was shoveling the driveway as it was snowing heavily and needed it cleared for the propane delivery. There are woods all around, but this encounter took place in the woods to the south. As I was about halfway done with the shoveling when I heard a splash in the crick, I thought it was a deer I'd spooked. So I stopped and started to scan the woods and crick. Then all of a sudden this huge, and I mean huge, wolf-like creature leapt into the air and took off with a supersonic burst of speed to the west. It crossed the road and continued west. I heard branches snapping right and left. I stood there absolutely frozen in total shock and amazement at what i had just seen. The second encounter took place on April eleventh, twenty sixteen three, fifteen p.m. I was a bit shaken up by the first encounter that this was my first trip back into the woods since. I was walking the property, which consists of about 30 acres of mainly hardwood and creek bottom. I was crossing the creek headed east when I caught something out of the corner of my eye to the south. "'I was about thirty to thirty-five yards from what I thought was a black bear. "'It was tearing profusely at the west bank of the creek. "'Then it stood up and I froze. "'It turned around and stood up on its hind legs. "'This was at least seven half feet tall. "'I was in the middle of the creek and was absolutely shitting myself. "'I didn't want to run out of fear it would give chase, "'and the firearm I had brought didn't stand a chance against this thing.' Then all of a sudden it put its nose straight up into the air and sniffed a couple of times. It looked immediately to the east, looked back at me, and with two huge strides took off into the thicket headed east. After it cleared the thicket it jumped into the trees and was leaping from treetop to treetop. And this one had all black fur that was matted and smelled horrendous, like rotten guts and sour fruit. The first wolf-like creature I saw was a grayish color with a little white in it. They both had pointed ears and a snout, a number of jagged-looking teeth and tails. The second one had much longer claws than the first one did. The third and final encounter came May 2, 2016 9, 20 p.m. I was collecting some kindling from the wood line south of the house. I had just about finished when I heard a loud snap. I stopped and listened for any movement. I'm on the woodland, not in the woods. I'm too frightened to step foot in them. Then I heard rustling sounds and another snap. This one sounded like a bone, not a branch. The sounds intensify, so I click on my flashlight. I started to scan the distance. As I get about halfway, I see glistening eyes yellow in color about twenty-five yards in front of me. I kept my light on it. It snarled and let out this deep growling sound that literally shook me. I started to back up, and again, this thing stood up and bent over to pick something up. I kept the light on it. It picked up what is was after, turned around and looked at me like I interrupted something it was doing, and just walked off into the woods to the south and disappeared. The next day, I had my cousin walk out with me too, where the creature stood. What we found was the hide, and only the hide of a white-tailed deer. I truly believe that the creature I saw was responsible for this. It was skinned like something just gag a creature I saw. Reminds me of a werewolf. In my three encounters, the one thing that freaks me out is how eerily silent it got before my encounters. I have since found out that the property has many Indian burial grounds on it, heavily wooded with a freshwater creek running through entire property. I used to walk the woods four times a week, and since my encounter I have a very hard time walking the wood line, let alone the woods themselves.